Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, December 22nd edition of the Basement Academy as Christmas comes closer. Let's spend just a few minutes uh, offering prayer together with our morning psalm and reflecting on the meaning of this event that we are celebrating, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, our psalm maybe is not so Christmassy, but we just journey through the psalms regardless of the time day season of the year this is psalm 142 it says it's a, a a psalm of david when he was in the cave it's a prayer he was being chased and pursued by saul i cry aloud to the lord i lift up my voice to the lord for mercy I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Psalm 142. Hmm. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. No one is concerned for my life. Oof, what a hard place to be in. Each of us gets there from time to time. And this time of year can often be, uh, for, for many of us, a very difficult time. We feel like we're in a cave. It's just dark all the time and uh, because of the pandemic, we're somewhat isolated. So let's offer this prayer for one another, for, certainly for ourselves, uh, that in uh, our time of need, uh, let us remember to cry to the Lord who does know our way. When our spirit grows faint, God, you know our way. Amen. Okay, just thinking together about the incarnation again, and I want to read Matthew's genealogy which is somewhat of a tongue twister. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of names in it, but I think there's value to reading it, uh, hearing the names. But this, there's a gift, I think, that, that's kind of embedded in this genealogy or some gifts that I'd like to hopefully tease out. And so this is how Matthew's gospel begins. Matthew chapter 1, the heading says, The Genealogy of Jesus. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, 
whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Christ. And so that's Matthew's genealogy. Luke traces it differently. goes all the way back to Adam. Okay. But Matthew presents to us, one, a bunch of names, right? <laughs> Not sure I got all the pronunciations uh, right there. Matthew presents to us uh, many names and a pattern. 14 generations uh, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the birth of Christ, to the birth of Jesus. Matthew's a tax collector. Remember that, right? So he has an eye for patterns and numbers and, and structure. And so there's probably some of Matthew's own uniqueness coming in here. But this, this genealogy is a gift to us in that it gives us these names that we can trace back in the Old Testament story, the Old Testament record, okay? It gives us this pattern and structure, connects Jesus to the two primary figures. Moses is not in here, but Moses shows up elsewhere in, in Matthew's gospel in a prominent way. Um, but Jesus isn't descended from Moses. Okay, that's the key. So what Matthew's doing is establishing the bona fides, the credentials of this one named Jesus, who is Christ, must be son of David, must be son of Abraham, to be, a, you know, th those are the two key figures. And he presents them in that order, even though chronologically they come, Abraham's roughly 2000 BC, 
and David's roughly 1,000 BC, so a thousand years between them. Okay, 14 generations, right? <clears throat> and so we have connection now to the promises to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and and through you, I'm going to bless all nations, all people. So I'm going to bless your family. Abraham's initially not able to conceive. He and Sarah not able to conceive. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac. And then the game is on. Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Okay, the 12 sons or 12 tribes of, of um, uh, Jacob, of Israel. And so tracing Jesus back to Abraham is significant that this becomes fulfillment of that old, old promise or prophecy that from Abraham would come one to bless all peoples, that his family was going to be a blessing. And then the son of David, there was a promise to David that one of your sons would always sit on the throne. And so Messiah is from the family, the Abrahamic family, the covenant family, but Messiah is also of the Davidic family, of the kingly uh, family. And so you've got this connection being made here in the genealogy. And then anytime you read some commentary about the Matthew, uh, Matthew's genealogy, you will read this also, that there are four women who are named, which is very unusual. Okay, Technically, you could say five because Mary gets named as well at the end. But four women are named, Tamar and Rahab, Ruth, and then Uriah's wife, she who had been Uriah's wife, okay, Bathsheba. Interesting that Bathsheba is not named where the others are. Uh, Tamar, without going into the deep dive, um, Judah, Tamar basically uh, has relations, or Judah has relations with his daughter-in-law. Tamar uh, was formerly married to one of Judah's sons, and in kind of a complicated, convoluted story, uh, they get together. And it is scandalous. And, and this is not omitted in Matthew's genealogy. It is not required that Matthew... Matthew doesn't list all of the mothers. He lists just some of the mothers. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Tamar, uh, Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Didn't have to say that, but he did. It's significant, okay? Then Rahab. Rahab is connected uh, with prostitution, okay? There's some who debate the timing of Rahab here. Is this a different Rahab that we uh, have mentioned? But Rahab, the prostitute. And then you've got Ruth, who was a Moabite, okay? So she's not from the family. She is not uh, from Abraham's family directly. And there's some story back with the Moabites, how they came about. So there's some little bit of checkered past uh, with them uh, as well. And so Ruth, who ends up uh, being married to Boaz, it's a sweet, tender little story, establishing the genealogy and credentials of David, as it were. And then we have, of course, Uriah's wife. And we know that story, David, um, seeing her uh, while Uriah is off at war and then he has a Uriah sent to the front line you know brings him back initially trying to have some subterfuge to have Uriah sleep with 
uh, Bathsheba so that this child will not be seen to be illegitimate. And you know the story. But that's the point. It's a story. And so each of these four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, each are connected to some activity or incident or um, experience that would make them to be somewhat undesirable to have in your genealogy. You, you might not want to mention that. So, you know, each of us has a genealogy and each of us has family and, you know, each of us maybe has a, you know, great uncle uh, Larry or something like that who's a little, you know, half a bubble off. Generally, families don't tell the darker parts of their family story. Usually there's a taboo. We, we don't talk about that. Shh. Let's just, just don't ask any questions. <coughs> Excuse me. But Matthew, who's very intentional, very intentional with this genealogy, <clears throat> pointing out the 14 generations, tracing to Abraham and David could have omitted the four women, but he did not. Hmm. Hmm. And so there's purpose to this genealogy. You know, the first time you read it, you're just, you know, hacking through the jungle of the names. And a lot of us, we just skip over the names. We skip over the genealogy. We go right to verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And we're off and running. But there's something that comes before the birth of Jesus. There's a story, a long story, a twisted story. And I think this is what Matthew's trying to get at here. In his presentation of the genealogy of Jesus, I think there are some what I'll call incarnational implications that I think are helpful to keep in front of us. Jesus is part of a much larger story. All of us are part of a much larger story. Now, few of us have our genealogy traced like this. Most of us can go back you know, a couple generations, maybe great-grandparents. Some, some may have known their great-grandparents, or you may know your great-grandchildren, so there's that blessing of the four generations. But rarely does it go beyond that, right? And, and you know, some who are interested in genealogy, you know, can trace that. But we've lost much of a connection to that story. Our, the lot, world has changed so much. You know, a lot of folks like to trace, did they come over on the Mayflower, etc.? those kind of things. So genealogical research is something that many are interested in. But a couple thousand years worth of genealogical history? Wow. And so Jesus is part of a much, much larger story, as we all are. <coughs> it's important to remember that. What's helpful about that, just from our own standpoint, is that my life is not all about me. I'm part of something much bigger that's going on. And so Jesus, when he shows up, shows up somewhat suddenly and, you know, hits, wow, shepherds and angels and all the stuff that's going on. 
But this has been going on for a very long time. God has been purposefully, intentionally shaping, going all the way back to the Abraham story, right? God calling Abraham. And so Jesus' genealogy begins all the way back in Genesis chapters 11 and 12 when we're introduced to Abraham and some of his family story. So there's this reality, implication of understanding there's a much bigger story going on here and then reminding, remembering that God is behind all this. See, God works in deep time. You know, we, we, we're stuck in time and, and we live in a world where, you know, life is instant, you know, communication is instant, pick up a phone, text, email, you can send communications across the world instantly. This did not used to be the case. So what that does for us is it, it kind of compresses our sense of time. So if we have to wait a day or a week or a month, oh my goodness, this is just too much for me to endure. The promises to Abraham, the promises to David are centuries old. Centuries of people waiting not just for days or weeks or months, not even years, but decades and centuries. Let that just settle in a little bit. This incarnational story, what we celebrate in Christmas, is the fulfillment of something that was going on stretching back 2,000 years. And so the connection to Abraham and David is, is so very important. This connection also reminds us that God is faithful. God fulfills all of his promises. It couldn't always be seen in one generation that the fulfillment of the promise was, was happening. You know, Abraham died, we read in the book of Hebrews, Abraham died not having reached that city <laughs> who, who, whose architect and builder is God, the city that has foundations. And so, that, that Hebrews chapter 11 is such an important chapter because they're all pursuing it. God's people are pursuing, but they die before they got to see the Christ. Now we look back 2,000 years and we go, oh, God's never going to come. World's coming to an end. You know, the things are going off the rails. Now, 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 now. The genealogy of Jesus reminds us God works to fulfill his purposes and promises in deep time. God is working right now, today, in your life and my life, in this world, to bring about his sovereign purposes. And then the implication around the inclusion of Tamar and Rahab, uh, Ruth and Bathsheba. Every family story has a twist in it. And each of these women are named <clears throat> to lest, we, lest Israel and lest we think that you must be perfect and come from perfect, you know, a purebred, you know, come from family lines of, of, of good stock where we don't do bad things, right? <laughs> uh, we don't have bad tempers. We don't make bad decisions. We don't handle money inappropriately. We don't engage in inappropriate sexual activity. We don't have children out of wedlock. 
you know, um, we, we engage in lawful enterprise, you know, whatever the, the, the heart of the human tends to think, we want to take pride in our family. We should take pride in our family, but we should own all of the family because at the end of the day, I think what Matthew's genealogy is saying is this Jesus who comes, comes to redeem. This is at, at heart a redemption story, a rescue story. This is a family that, just, just in case you guys want to think, you know, you, you Israelites at the time of Jesus, you want to think that everything's hunky-dory, let's remember the past. And there's a lot more past than just this. But I think that's important. And so God's purposes are deep, they're wide, they're good, they're firm, they will come about in the world but in your life and in my life. And so these are incarnational implications. And so there's something valuable, you know, as we widen out the lens, as we read the genealogy and kind of see the larger sweep of generations, maybe it can calm us down. That all our lives aren't figured out. All the things that we want for our children or grandchildren may not be coming about to our eyesight or our awareness relax. God is working his purposes out over time. And so Paul writes in the book of Galatians, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Speaking of this family, Abraham's family. And thanks be to God, it was then to fulfill the promise of Abraham to then this child, the son of Abraham, son of David, would become a blessing to all peoples, which is how most, if not all of us listening to this, get in. We're the Gentiles, right? We're the ones God had in mind uh, all the way back in that promise to Abraham. So so let me wrap up here. The gift of the genealogy. Take a, take a moment to read it. It just takes a couple minutes. Uh, fight through some of the names, but, but notice it for yourself. And give thanks to God for this wonderful story of redemption that has been brought about in fulfillment of God's purposes through Jesus Christ. Father, hear our prayer of gratitude, of thanks, of, of worship and awe for the ways in which you have worked over time, in time, through time, to bring about your plans and purposes in fulfillment to Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. And so give us hope and comfort as we walk through this holy season. May we do so with greater confidence and assurance that you are at work in our lives and there's nothing in our past that could disqualify us from your grace and mercy. Hear our prayer as we make it in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may God shine his face upon you this day and in this holy season. And may all your loved ones know this same favor and grace. Through Christ our Lord, amen.